Hi, One Goal community. It's Elaine Boyd, Pelotonia's Event and Volunteer Operations Coordinator. Since 2008, Pelotonia has raised over $236 million for innovative cancer research. And thanks to our partners, 100% of those funds have gone directly to research at the James at Ohio State. Together, we will see an end to cancer. To get involved in our one goal, visit pelotonia.org. That's pelotonia.org, or click on the link in the episode notes. This podcast is powered by Pelotonia. To learn more about our goal 10 cancer, visit pelotonia.org or see the link in the show notes. For a long time. That gives you hope to dream about your future and all things. She says, I haven't dreamed. I haven't dreamed anything, but this is the first time after he met Melissa, his his uh, his now wife. She says, I can dream. Welcome to One Goal, a podcast from Pelotonia. We're a community dedicated to funding innovative cancer research through a three-day experience of cycling and volunteering. I'm your host and COO of Pelotonia, Joe Apgar. Your journey with us to the finish line begins now. Pelotonia is powered by an amazing community, and it's through research that we will see an end to cancer. We want to thank our major funding partners, the American Electric Power Foundation, Huntington, the Elbrands Foundation, and Peggy and Richard Santulli. It's because of them and this dedicated community that all of this is possible. As an active and healthy 21-year-old, Jared Sylvester was regularly involved in many different kinds of sports and activities, basketball, running, and more. He always seemed to be moving until the day this athlete received a diagnosis that sent him down an entirely different path. I had the opportunity to sit down with Jared and his father, David, to hear about their journey firsthand. We're honored to share it with you now on this episode titled, To Dream Again came about in a you know in a weird way cancer comes about differently for everybody but I was uh, pretty active back then worked out a lot ran um, you know played pickup basketball all the time and this that summer before my junior year I was training for a half marathon my leg just started hurting significantly and um, you know it would be to a point where I would pass out from pain a couple of times pretty pretty abnormal from a typical workout <laughs> um, didn't think that much of it you know I remember specifically one time going on a 10 mile run with uh, a couple buddies that summer and halfway through I was just like man my leg is killing me my knee specifically it felt like someone had a carving knife and was just carving bone uh, and very uncomfortable I just being like a former athlete just saying okay I'll just push through I don't know it'll probably go away finished the run got back to the house where I was living at in that summer and I literally passed out on my floor and I woke up yeah I don't know maybe 30 seconds later or so and was like what the heck just happened so get back to school that uh, my junior year that fall and it just doesn't go away comes occasionally um you know it's really bad when i'm working out got to a point where i couldn't stand um one day i was crawling up my stairs to my house and my roommate saw me physically crawling like physically crawling and my roommate saw me and was like what are you doing and i said my leg hurts (laughs) and he's like dude your leg must really hurt and he made me call 
uh, my parents that day. We, I just was surprised because I didn't know it, he had experienced any pain at all. He hadn't shared any of that over the summer with us at all. Just never spoke about it. So he calls us and we said, we have, we know Dr. Mike real well. And so he, we asked him to take a look. What, what should we do? And he, Dr. Mike says, hey, we can do an MRI if you want to. I mean, we, we can, we, I can just, or I can just take a look at it and, and, and uh, drain it. Thank God. <laughs> he decided to do the MRI. And so we had a look at it and he calls us back that Friday and says, hey, uh, I've got the stuff back, come on over. And I just was thinking to myself, this is going to his house around 7.30 or something like that. What's the deal with this? You know, it just doesn't make any sense to me. I just, it never crossed my mind that it could be cancer. And all of a sudden my wife or, or, or I, she says it was her. I think it was me, but whatever. <laughs> said, said, I said, if this is, this could be, can- if this, this could be cancer. Do you think that's, that's what it is? I just, I was like, you gotta be, no, that just doesn't happen to us. It doesn't happen in our family. And uh, so I just, you know, we just I remember just, you know, uh, leaving and going over there. And then Mike brought it up right away and just said, this is what we think it is. And, and I just broke down crying. It was just a very shocking moment. I was mind blown. Couldn't process anything. Um, so that really felt like an out-of-body experience to me. I remember um, just kind of going into a fog. Of He was talking, um, like looking around at my mom and dad and my sister, and they're all crying. And I'm just like, I have no idea how to react or respond. And I remember like kind of coming to it, like coming up, air out of the fog and being like okay he said cancer he said osteosarcoma and he said you know chemotherapy that was the start of you know our journey as a family at 21 it's how you handle those things that the shape it can tear you apart or bring you together this brought us together I think one of the things when you talk to anyone that's been through this, it's how quickly things start to happen afterwards, right? Time stops for a second when you hear those words, and then immediately things just start sort of rolling forward and people spring into action. And so what happened next? I mean, did you, you go to the hospital? What, what, what happened? So I, I was back on break or that, you know, just fall break that weekend. Uh, I went back to school immediately, picked up my stuff, um, said goodbye to my my roommates, my housemates, my best friends. Told all them briefly and took as much luggage as we could get in the car and drove back home. We were in the hospital meeting with Dr. Marison Tuesday morning, and uh, that's when everything started really, really rapidly going going into play. So, our whole family went in together: mom, dad, and I have three siblings, one of four. We were all in the doctor's office together with Dr. Marison. Phenomenal experience to have everybody there. Everybody's asking these questions. We're all learning because we, we have no idea about this world, the cancer world. Yeah, and the worst thing you can do is just start Googling. Exactly. <laughs> so um, Dr. Marison laid it out, and he's, you know, we're going to do 10 weeks of chemotherapy. We're going to do a massive surgery to take the cancer out, and then we're going to do six more months of chemotherapy. So we got you for a year. And, you know, then we're going to give you your life back. Did you walk out of there feeling, wow, this is going to be a hard road, but I feel like I've got the best team around me. I've got my family around me. Like, were you feeling confident or were you feeling 
scared, you know, angry? How are you feeling? I think there was just a sense of hope. You know, we come from a faith-based background. And so I remember that night, you know, Friday night, really getting together and we all just prayed for a couple hours as a family. And that was really intimate. And that provided like the foundation for where we were going to go in the future. Um, So there was comfort with, you know, my medical practitioners um, just because I knew that James was the best comfort and hope in, you know, our future. I just remember thinking, what kind of life will my son have? What does this mean for him? How long will it be? What will it be? What kind of life will he, will he ever be able to have children? Will he ever be able to get married and have all the things that I've been able to experience in life? Because you want those things for him so desperately. You want him to enjoy life. You want him to have the goodness of life, the greatness of life. Um, and so, but that, yeah, those things are all fears and, you know, not knowing. And, and, you know, before you come into this, you really don't know much about it. This is, cancer is a tight community. The moment, we, this is October, middle of October, October 15, basically. And like from November, right before, right before we started, did biopsy and started as chemo, we had three meals a week through May. And they were scheduled out all the way. Yeah, meal trains strong in Upper Arlington. And pe- we had people come by and cut our grass. People come by and plant shrubs, you know, plant, 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 plant flowers, cut our shrubs down. And all that. They, they knew we were busy, and so they just did stuff just forgiving. I went through 10 weeks of chemotherapy, and that first group of chemotherapy really wrecked me. I mean, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, everything. And I just was, you know, just weak and um, didn't know what the future looked like. And then my surgery, which was January 19th, 2011, um, just took it to another level. Because then I did this massive surgery um, to remove the cancer in my leg, you know, starting to slowly recover, relearning how to walk, um, and then starting chemo again a couple weeks after that, and brutal chemo. Um, That was like the lowest I'd ever been. You know, I, I went from, I was like 6'1", 185, 190 when I went, entered into chemo. And uh, right around March time when I was, you know, still recovering from my surgery, I was in the low 130s. You know, that's, that's barbaric. I'm hoping that's why, that's why we're a part of organizations like this where, you know, immunotherapy is the next thing that's going to really change the landscape. That was the lowest point. You know, that, that like kind of end of February, March area. And I remember thinking to myself in the hospital bed of just like I, I couldn't get up. I couldn't move in my bed. I really was sensitive to light and sound. The chemotherapy just really messed with me. And I would just sit in my hospital. I would lay in my hospital bed in a dark, cold, empty room alone. That was the first time I was like, if I'm going to die, it's going to be this week. That week, I remember I had, uh, I told my sister and my family members to just pray for clarity mentally. I just couldn't, I couldn't break through the noise of everything that was going on. And within a couple days, I was a new, I was a new person. The fog cleared, the cloud had lifted, I, I, I reawoke and um, saw the hope again. So, you know, it was with, within a matter of a couple of days of really 
hitting rock bottom to being really uplifted and supported by a community just really feeling like oh my gosh i'm gonna make it through this there is gonna be a future for jared sylvester he was he was it was more survival than actually living um, he was he had positive attitude trying to do things he was appreciative he was but it really wasn't a sense where he was he wasn't planning for his future he didn't know what he wanted to do he was in between college his friends had all graduated by that time he was done with chemo and all that sort of stuff and it was sort of like this fog of what am I doing all my friends are gone if I go back to school I don't know anybody and it's a totally different kind of environment so it's just really really difficult um, and uh, because I, I asked myself, how are you doing? He says, he says, okay. He says, Dad, I haven't dreamed for a long time. You know, it's a ho- it gives you hope to dream about your future and all things. He says, I haven't dreamed. I haven't dreamed anything, but this is the first time after he met Melissa, his, his, uh, his now wife. He says, I can dream. That's awesome. So let's, Jared, let's talk about um, Melissa and, you know, the person that, made you dream again and you know obviously you guys started dating and and ultimately ended up getting married but she was sort of that was all happening sort of in this sort of second half of your life sort of the post-cancer uh version so can you just talk about her and sort of how she helped you and supported you just through your own journey just really for those couple years uh was in a in a weird spot and so meeting Melissa actually we met in a wedding together Um, she was a maid of honor and I was in the groomsmen party and I always say that I was the first single guy in line Um, but uh, yeah we just connected because her mom actually at at that time was going through a sarcoma diagnosis and she was at the end stage of her um, of her battle Um, and that year we met in June of 2015, and her mom passed away in September of 2015. And so just brought, brought us together that weekend of the wedding um, because she, said, she, she was introduced to me as, hey, this is, this is Mike's friend that had cancer. You guys should talk. And you know, going through what I went through, I was able to emotionally relate to what her family was experiencing. And we just automatically connected we spent 12 hours together the next day after the wedding, and then our second date was another eight, eight or ten hours. And it, we knew at that point it was game over. From from there, it's just been a joy. I mean, it's just hard it's to put into words really um, what Melissa, my wife, has meant in my life. I mean, you know, we we dated long distance for a little bit. You know, we as my dad said, you know, at the onset, we were very unsure uh, if we were if there was going to be a future for me, if I was going to get married or have, have another life, uh, in, in the future. And, uh, we were very unsure about kids. You know, I think it's, I don't know if taboo is the right word, but you know, young guys that get diagnosed with cancer often deal with infertility and people don't like to talk about it. Um, guys don't talk about it. And, um, you know, I battled it myself and, and we ended up adopting, you know, you you recently have been blessed with a baby girl yourself. Um, so, like, what was that like? That whole journey of finding out uh, Melissa was pregnant to, to witnessing the birth of your baby. Uh, you know, you said it, Joe. It's just a blessing. I cannot. This is a little life that's a miracle, and all life is a miracle. 
Um, and we're, we're just so grateful for little Lucy Michelle Sylvester. And she, we learned about her existence um, unexpectedly. We were never expected to have kids. And so my wife um, randomly just wasn't feeling well for a, a good amount of time and actually was in Colorado for a little bit. And then after her trip, got back and was like, hi. I think I, I'm going to take a pregnancy test I'm feeling this weird. And uh, it came back positive And I was like, there's no way. Um, I do not believe this. I'm going to, you got to take another one. And so she took another one and I still did not believe it. I was like, there's something wrong. You're reading it wrong. There's no way. I know a hundred percent. I've, cl- I've closed this door. There's no way. And ironically about a week or two later, I had already scheduled an appointment with our fertility specialist doctor. I still went through with that appointment and they told me over the phone after they kind of looked through all the results and said, Hey, you're not going to be able to have uh, a, a kid naturally. You're not going to be able to get pregnant naturally. And on the phone, I said, actually, uh, we found out my wife's pregnant. <laughs> and so the nurse and doctor were just uh, floored. They were super excited as we were, but it was all a shock. We were, we were amazed. And then the whole pregnancy process has just been a, a joy and a blessing. And then seeing her little Lucy come into the world, um, I just, I can't imagine, you know, thinking that this was, this would be a reality all those years ago, you know, even, you know, five years ago on the bike, 10 years ago in the doctor's office, getting the the cancer diagnosis, this little one, uh, you know, we're just so grateful. Hey, Lou. Hey, Miss Lucy girl. So Pelotonia had been going on for a couple of years and you know, obviously you've seen it in town, you've heard about people doing it, but you weren't in a spot in your life where you could do it. So sort of that first time you decided to sign up, what was that like? What, what were you thinking? I, I signed up with Team Buckeye because I was still finishing up school then at that time at Ohio State and didn't really train with anybody, kind of went in ISO, just said, I really want to do this. This is, seems like a phenomenal organization and just wanted to jump in. And that first year, 2015, um, I get to, you know, the, the start, start of the weekend, Friday night, the kickoff. And I just, I felt like I had walked into a party celebrating, you know, my success, my journey. I felt like everybody that was surrounded me was my best friend. Um, because you walk into an environment and everybody is there to conquer one thing. And it was, it, it gave me chills. I, I remember being so hyped up and I had no idea what the ride was going to be like. You know, this was just getting free food on Friday night. <laughs> and uh, so the whole weekend was, uh, I mean, it was honestly one of the best experiences of my entire life. To feel so supported tangibly by the volunteers, by the staff, by the other riders, by the virtual riders, by the people that are there supporting you that aren't riding the next day. Um, and then the the ride Saturday for me I did 45 and actually rode with Dr. Mayerson my my surgeon who saved my life to see everybody on the on the side of the road holding up signs in the middle of the no, in the middle of nowhere Ohio uh just you know just outside of Columbus um putting sprinklers out on the road you know on a hot day handing out peanut butter and jelly sandwiches at the stops I I just felt like this is where I was supposed to be 
This was this was a family to me. That's incredible. So, um, what was it like crossing the finish line with with the guy that saved your life? Yeah, it was pretty special. Uh, we, we laughed because uh, he, he pushed me really hard the first half, and I was just so amped up. Uh, there was a lot, the of ride. a lot of adrenaline uh, <laughs> out of the starting gates for sure. We we were cruising there at the end, and you know just gaining continually gaining momentum and crossing that finish line with the doctor that saved my life from the James. You know, brought tears to my eyes and uh, his eyes, my family's eyes, and um, just a remarkable experience to to share. This is what he went into practicing medicine for. You know, to save individuals' lives and to see them grow and thrive into, um, you know, these these individuals with with purpose and and drive in the future. We didn't know he was riding with Dr. Marison at the same time, and we were like, when we saw him come up, we went. My wife and I turned and said, "Wow, look at that! Dr. Marison's there with Jared." And then the Jared, he crosses the finish line, he throws his hands up in the air and just starts screaming like he won the like he won the whole race. <laughs> you know, it's like, and so and, we, and I, I'm about to do a horrendous job taking pictures, but I just that one I got, which is sort of cool. I just took my phone, just tapped it twenty times, you know, trying to get everything. And uh, so I got a really good shot of him crossing the line, both hands in the air, just yelling, screaming that, he, that he's. That finished it and it was a great moment for him and then to see him cross at Dr. Marison was just like we've known this guy for a number of years now and, and it just was it just sort of melted everything together perfectly so let's talk about how uh, David you ended up riding uh, for the first time this past year and what was what made you sort of jump into the deep end of the pool and uh, hop on the bike and do that? And, and what was that experience like for you? I always sort of wanted to do it, uh, but I just never felt like really could, you know. It didn't seem like it was astronomical model miles to ride, but I wasn't a bike rider at all. So, um, But this time I just wanted to, uh, this year, I wanted to do it the previous year, but something came, I think we had a reunion I had to go to or something like that. Um, but... Uh, this year, I remember just turning to my wife and said, "I, I, I want to do this. I want to connect with Jared. I want, I want to do this with him. He's still. This is a still a battle we go through, and uh, he every every quarter gets scanned again. <laughs> you know, we gotta we gotta do this thing over and over again. So I want to go through this with him again. I want to experience this with him. And I thought it'd be really neat to to get some of our family members together to do it with him because I know he's done it with Joel and." And uh, he did it the year before, last year, he did it with his wife, Melissa. They did it together. And uh, so this year I, wanted, I just wanted to, I wanted to do it. And I, I needed to make that decision. So I made the decision, went out and bought a bike. My wife looks at me and says, you'll, you'll, never get, you'll never be consistent in this. And she had great faith in me. <laughs> in the process, my other son, Drew, uh, decided to join us as well so uh that made it all even even better and so we went and so we decided to do this together and and uh, jared felt like he didn't even need to work out he's he knew all this stuff he can he can he he's can a do, pro at this he can do 50 miles no, no question i'm sitting there worried to death about it and um and, but uh it, it was it was it was important for me to, to as a family to let to my for me to, to be involved with jared again in this this is not over this is something that's it's, it's, it's part of our life for the rest yeah, of our lives. Yeah, for the rest. And so I wanted to do this, and I wanted, and then on top of that, as I said, we've been so, 
people have just done so much for us through the years about this and cared so much and prayed for Jared and you know quarterly you know we still go through all this stuff again and uh, and so so to give back a little bit to participate in this thing to feel like I'm 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 helping out others who go through this as well that's a big thing Jared always threatened to write a book called the gift of cancer and uh, and part of that is because of what we were able to experience as a family. We found a closeness, a tightness uh, that would not be there. Jared found a purpose in life that he would never have had without this. My message for anybody going through these seasons, this journey of cancer, is that there is hope, that there are people there to support you. So I, I think, you know, I've learned a lot from my journey. I've learned so much more from the people that I interact with, even up to this day that I volunteer with. I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for my journey. And again, you know, just feel over, overly blessed and to, ha to have that ability to say that. And it's not necessarily the way for everybody, this cancer journey. Um, but we've just been very fortunate in this life. And um, yeah, just learned a ton and, and continually trying to learn from the well of, of the cancer journey. Jared and David's optimism and joy is something that's inspiring to me, and we hope you feel the same way after hearing their amazing story. We, of course, want to thank them and all of our podcast guests for giving their time and stories to encourage others in our community. Before we continue, we want to thank our major funding partners again, Peggy and Richard Santulli, the American Electric Power Foundation, Huntington, and the Brands Foundation. It's because of them, every penny raised goes directly to innovative cancer research. This is what you can expect on the next episode of One Goal. Um, but what I gave him was a Superman t-shirt. Um, and I wrote him a letter and I said, you know, in my life, when I've worn this shirt, it makes me feel invincible. And hopefully uh, you can take some of my strength for your journey ahead. You've been listening to One Goal, a podcast from Pelotonia. The first half of season two will be hosted by me, Chief Operating Officer of Pelotonia, Joe Apgar, with interview and production scheduling by our marketing and communications team duo, Emily Smith and Gabby Blauer. Produced, mixed, and sound designed at the studios of Wessler Media by Vince Tornero. Additional mastering by Joey Gerwin at Orin Judio. Special thank you to all of our guests for being so open and willing to share their amazing stories. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as that will help others hear these empowering journeys. If you're curious about joining the Pelotonia community, please see the link in the episode notes or visit pelotonia.org. That's pelotonia.org.